Hey everyone, it's Isaac Lee, producer of The Dave Chang Show, the podcast you're listening to right now. A quick disclaimer before we start, we had some technical difficulties with our guest Rocio Sanchez's audio, so it might not sound the best at times, but please bear with us. It's a great episode, so stick around. This episode is brought to you by Pure Leaf Iced Tea. Great iced tea takes you somewhere else like new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea that we have here at the Spotify Studios and drink quite a bit where unexpectedly blackberry flavor transports you to a very delicious place. So refreshing you may never want to leave. You will eventually have to though, but take your time. Try new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea. Visit amazon.com slash pureleaf and enter 20 Pure Leaf. That's 20 Pure Leaf for 20% off your purchase of new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. The Dave Chang Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network, presented by Major Doma Media. We have Chef Rosio Sanchez as our guest today. She has, I think, four restaurants now in Copenhagen, some of the best taquerias, not just in Copenhagen. I think you can get anywhere. It just so happens that it's in Scandinavia. And she's been a longtime friend. I have known her for many, many years. She has a, an impeccable CV. And uh, spending time at WD-50, Noma, and becoming a chef restaurateur in her own right in Copenhagen. And I miss her so much. World-class talent, amazing person, recently married, and Chris Seeing and I have a sort of a catch-up slash over-under slash, you know, what's been going on in Copenhagen type of thing. Highly recommend you stay tuned for that, especially when we get into Chicago hot dogs, something that I think is incredibly underrated. Yes, they don't put ketchup on, but they have celery salt and pickled chili peppers and just about everything else. Um, Speaking of underrated, and that's what I want to get into the top of this podcast, I was going to talk just about Worcestershire sauce, which if you don't know, it's mostly seen, I think, in Bloody Mary's. A uh, little dash goes into Caesar dressings. I think it's an underrated seasoning in general. It's basically got anchovies. Tamarind clearly is an influence of British colonization of India. And you could almost say that it's Indian more than anything else. But Leon Perrins has this amazing sauce that I've been using a lot more the past year plus. Not even sure why, but uh, it has a lot of umami. It's got really nice balance. I think I've been using it because I've been making uh, bulldog sauce, Japanese uh, tonkatsu sauce for fried foods, which is basically uh, oyster sauce, uh, ketchup, a little lemon juice, and some Worcestershire sauce. Anyway, not to go into a whole history lesson because I barely know it that well, but it got me thinking the dish that I think is super underrated that I hope to see more of is a Welsh rarebit. And if you don't know what a Welsh rarebit is, let me tell you, it is British in origin. It's been around for pretty much as long, I think, as uh, Worcestershire sauce. Uh, Online says around 1725. I believe that's around the same time as Worcestershire sauce. And really, it's just a toasted slice of bread to my knowledge, I'm not an expert in in British Anglo-Saxon food, but uh, I've had a sh- fair share of my Welsh rarebits um, with a, a cheese sauce. It's basically a cheese toast, and I just don't see it ever. And growing up, there was a cookbook that my mom had that was basically the only thing that had American slash European recipes, and I would sort of peruse it as a kid and look at this dish called Welsh rarebit, and I didn't understand. I was like, is it rabbit? Why is a rabbit dish from Wales look like it's just 
brulee cheese on toast. And, you know, that stuck with me. And I never even thought about it ever again till I met the great chef Fergus Henderson of St. John's in London and his uh, business partner, Trevor Gulliver, Uncle Trev and Fergus, two of the very best, best people I know. And Fergus has had this on his menu at St. John's for many, many years. And when I ate there the first time, they dropped this on me. I was eating by myself at the bar. And this was probably, oh my God, 13, 14 years ago. And I didn't know how to eat it. I had never had it before, except for this book from the early 1980s. And really, it's it's just a cheese sauce with uh, mustard powder. Uh, it's like a Mornay with Guinness and, and cheddar. And the cheddar in England is just a different breed altogether. A little bit of cayenne. You know, you basically make a roux, add the cheese, add the Guinness, and you broil it. And it comes out with a bottle of Lee Perrin's Worcestershire sauce. And I didn't know what to do. And I thought, I just put a couple dollops on top. And uh, I believe Trevor was behind me and says, you have no idea what you're doing. Clearly, I didn't. And if you haven't been to St. John's, listen, it's one of the most iconic restaurants in the world. Fergus Henderson, if you don't know, he's a very important chef. And um, I've been trying really hard not to go down food rabbit holes where we're talking about chefs and we're talking about things that a lot of people outside of food don't know. But do me a favor, just go online and Google St. John's Restaurant London, St. John's Bread and Wine, and Chef Fergus Henderson, a very, very important chef for a variety of reasons. But his restaurant was just, it is still so beautiful. It's just stark. It's white, super clean. One of my favorite restaurants of all time. Anyway, they have changed dining trends in so many different ways. But the one thing that has never really truly caught on is the Welsh rarebit. And they help popularize bone marrow on toast, a lot of different awful dishes and pies. And just, again, St. John's has had its global impact on food. But the one dish that I don't understand why it hasn't sort of taken off the world over is Fergus's take on a Welsh rarebit. And he was influenced by a gastropub that he worked in. And he was a trained architect. Anyway, I'm, I'm, I've gone way, way like all over the place. I started talking Worcestershire sauce, wanted to talk about Welshire a bit. Now I'm talking about Fergus and St. John's and going down the culinary lineage. But basically, I have the Welsh rare bit and it comes and it's this giant, giant piece of toast. It's, it's like, imagine a slice of Wonder Bread, but two and a half times bigger and thinner. And it's just like covered with like a half an inch of this brown, cheesy sauce. And I'm served the a knife is on the plate and I, I don't know what to do with the knife. And I just put a couple dollops of dashes of Worcestershire sauce and thinking that's enough. And Trevor goes and says like, you have no idea what you're doing. And he goes, let me show you how to do it. And he puts a cross hatch sort of section, like a grill marks almost, a quadrilage of grill marks or a diagonal tic-tac-toe thing going on. And pushing the butter knife pretty deep into the rare bit. And again, I don't know the name. I'm, I'm not going about the history of the Welsh rare bit, but why I'm talking about the Welsh rare bit is to talk about Worcestershire sauce because what proceeded to happen was a deluge of Worcestershire sauce just doused on the rare bit. And my initial reaction was, wow, that is just going to just kill this dish. I'm not going to be able to taste anything but the rare bit, anything but the Worcestershire sauce. And uh, I took my bite and it was just one of those things where it didn't make sense and everything worked. You have a little bit of the spice from the cayenne and the really good dry mustard. You got the Guinness. And again, the sharp English cheddar, probably from Neil's Dairy Yard, is just on a different level. It's one of the best bites of food. And I can't believe why I've never thought about it more. And I have no idea why I've been thinking about the Welsh rare bit the past week or so, I don't know if I'll ever make it. I think the the key is getting that kind of cheddar and getting a really good Guinness. And maybe it's never going to taste the same, not eating it in St. John's. But listen, I don't know what's going on, but maybe I, maybe people are putting it on menus. I just have never seen it. 
So I think I'm going to try to figure out how to make it at home. I'm going to give it a shot because I miss it so much. And clearly a Welsh rare bit is one of those dishes that is not going to deliver well. But one of my like true culinary high points in my life was Trevor and Fergus for a short period in their business career owned St. John's Hotel on the outskirts of Chinatown in London. And besides them having the sickest mini bar fridge of all time with mini bottles of spirits you've never even heard of before, including Fergus's great miracle, Fernet Branca, you could get the best of St. John's and you could get Welsh rarebit 24-7. I cooked a dinner there once at the hotel, so I was able to order room service uh, <laughs> at the craziest hours and eat rarebits. I must have had five rarebits a day. And it's one of my favorite things to eat. So every time I have some Worcestershire sauce, I think about the Welsh rarebit at St. John's. What I use with my Worcestershire sauce is I add it to my macaroni and cheese. That's like the classic, my classic interpretation of a Welsh rarebit for America without having to make the rarebit. Clearly, it's a bastardization of whatever the hell I'm talking about. But Worcestershire sauce pairs extremely well with dairy butter, cheese, and I think you guys should give it a shot. Just, it's a wonderful thing to add to food, and I don't know why it's not added to more things outside of a Caesar dressing and, uh, what else, Bloody Marys or Bloody Bulls. I think we should probably be using a lot more of it. It's got a lot of umami. It's got a distinct flavor. I love it very much, and um, I'm going to start to use a lot more of my Worcestershire sauce, and I will soon endeavor to make a Welsh rare bit at home, and I hope that it will be something close to my platonic version of a Welsh rare bit at St. John's. And listen, guys, if you're listening to this and you're like, Dave, that's not the best Welsh rare bit, let me know where. I want to know. I want to see Welsh rare bit become a thing here in America. I think it's an amazing dish. It's cheese toast. That's all it is. But there's something magical about a dish that is so few ingredients and I don't know why we don't serve more of it in restaurants here. And uh, I will try to endeavor to do that myself, at least make it for myself and my family. But uh, shout out to Fergus and Trevor and the whole team at St. John's. Hopefully you're hanging in there. Uh, we miss you guys. Anyway, that is a long, incoherent, rambling story once again about Worcestershire sauce, Welsh rarebit, and St. John restaurant. But uh, speaking of another restaurant and chef in Europe. Here is our conversation with Rosio Sanchez. We are joined today with superstar chef Rosio Sanchez. She's calling from Copenhagen and uh, we're joined by Chris Ying. Rosio is someone you know very well. I've known Rosio, oh my God, damn near 20 years. Long, oh, my. oh my God, more than 20 years? Wait, is that what? No, no, no. 20 no, years? No, no. no. I'm 16, not seven, 16 years. <laughs> so no, 16, 15. Around 15 years I've known Rosio, um, which is insane. <laughs> fucking crazy. And I miss her dearly. And she's an expat. She's ditched America for good reason. And uh, how many restaurants you open uh, operating now in Copenhagen? It's four in Copenhagen, yeah. And what are the names? Uh, Ica de Sanchez. There's three different versions and also Sanchez Restaurant. What are the different versions? All I know is Sanchez is in all four of the names. <laughs> yeah, so Sanchez is like the restaurant that you have like a menu. Uh, Which the is one delicious. That you went to. Yeah, yes. uh, so we do, we do like a brunch menu and then also like an evening menu. Uh, and the Ica de Sanchez is more like quick taqueria takeout. Uh, we have two of those, and we just opened one in October during the pandemic. <laughs> Great. <laughs> <laughs> and Dave, I think it, it's important for listeners to know that, I mean, all of those uh, restaurants are at least in the top 50 of Mexican restaurants in Copenhagen, right? Like, I, I would have to say that the tacos at Ica de Sanchez are probably well, top 20 at listen. least. <laughs> 
I, I, for the listenership that may not understand, it's not like there's a booming Latin American or Mexican population in Copenhagen. They have had Mexican food, but it's like, you know, Americanized, Europeanized Taco Bell. Like taco is a thing in, like in, in Scandinavia. Yeah. yeah, it's it's n- nothing to talk about, actually. It's so never bring it up, Scandinavian tacos ever again. Like the, the Swedish... Friday, yeah. Uh... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Taco Fridays. Taco Fridays. Magnus, actually, I think, Magnus Nielsen is trying to come back and open up a Tacos Friday <laughs> restaurant. Oh my um, God, my rival. <laughs> <laughs> but when you're considering what Rosio has done and her career, and I want to get a little bit into that, uh, and bring in tacos and, you know, mixed them all and, and, and just like her sort of, embrace of her Mexican food heritage. It's delicious. And it's a little bit like maybe being like uh, Bill Russell in the 60s and 70s in terms of the the competition. It's like, it's not to say that it's not amazing. I think it would be one of the best here in America. But I always wanted to ask you, like, how was that possible for you to do something and make something for an audience that was like, this is what fresh squeezed orange juice tastes like. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's got to be still weird. Yeah, I think it's in the beginning, it was very tough because we were going all out to say, we're going to bring in corn from Mexico and grind it and, you know, nixtamalize everything to make the tortillas. And people are like, what's a taco? And then, <laughs> uh, you know, eating it with a knife and fork. But I think uh, in the beginning, I was really frustrated and get, I got angry at uh, guests. But um, I just accepted that it was going to take a while. And if I really wanted to do this, it was going to require some patience on my part to teach people. Because you're like going up against people's idea of what Mexican food is, right? Like it's, it's not like, it's not like they had no idea, but actually the idea they had was just completely different than what you were doing. So you present like a fresh nixtamalized masa tortilla and they're like, this tastes wrong. (laughs) It doesn't taste like what I'm used to, right? Well, because I think what everyone is used to is, you know, you're going to have a taco, you go get a little packet that says taco mix, and you're going to add that to your meat. <laughs> and then you put that on your taco, and that's the, the taco. So I think it's um, it's quite tricky because you also don't want to seem too arrogant. Um, I can I can feel that a little bit. like So you don't want to make people feel uncomfortable, but it's getting better. What are some of the flavors that you've used, right? You've taken some of the philosophy of, of Noma um, where you try to recreate flavors of the world, in your case, flavors of Mexico using local ingredients, which is, I think, a hallmark of what you guys have sort of been able to do over the yeah. past 10 plus years. When it comes to your restaurants, what are the things that may, most people probably wouldn't associate with Mexican food that you've been able to use that are like Scandinavian? I think there's been a a progression because when I first opened, my head was, it needs to be as authentic as possible because people need to have the authentic thing. Um, But then when I opened the restaurant Sanchez, it's when I felt like this kind of a moment where I had to maybe not be so strict on that and kind of accept that, my life has had a lot of different experiences. And the reason it says Sanchez is because it's supposed to reflect like my, my taste and my experiences. So uh, incorporating things like sea box horn and habanero, trying to use like tropical flavors in that sense. Can we, can we, can we, hold on. (laughs) Cause I'm like, nothing makes me laugh more than when I see sea buckthorn outside of Scandinavia. Me too. <laughs> it's insane. It's when really I see insane. it outside of Copenhagen or Scandinavia, I'm like, why? <laughs> why? <laughs> it's you like, guys have uh, other other cool stuff, you know? Because of, why do you need this? This thing you shouldn't be eating this outside of Scandinavia. I mean, maybe we should back up even. And I mean, Dave, explain sea buckthorn to people who've never had it. Had it? Like, what, I'm the wrong what, person what? to explain it because I have. Maybe I don't even know. I don't want to say anything about sea buckthorn. <laughs> Rosia, can you explain what sea buckthorn is? Because I feel it's on menus. I can get it from you know gourmet purveyors and whatnot, and it's become with cloudberries and a lot of Scandinavian ingredients <laughs> all the rage. Um, 
little bit less so, but I, I mean, for sure you would see Sea Buckthorn on at least one like ambitious restaurant in your city. It doesn't matter yeah. where you are in the world, you would see Sea Buckthorn. What is Sea Buckthorn? Got a great name. Sea Buckthorn is a very tart berry that grows in the frost. So it mm-hmm. uh, has a lot of seeds. So I think ideally you, you'd want to crush it to like a juice. I'm not sure if they're actually growing Sea Buckthorn near New York. <laughs> Maybe that's why it's so popular. <laughs> it's It's like, it has something like, 2,000% of your daily recommended allowance of vitamin C and it is like a little tiny ball of pure acidity. <laughs> you know what it tastes like? Pain. It tastes like pain. <laughs> I think the closest thing is more like passion fruit. No way. No yeah. A tart passion fruit. I think so. Rosio, yeah. Rosio, you've just tasted so much you've killed your palate. <laughs> you, you've lost, you've lost mean, all perspective. When you, you drink... Did, or taste sea buckthorn. Don't you agree, Chris? It is one of when I say pain, it is so astringent and acidic. It is sour personified. But I, I, I mean, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not. I've actually had it at uh, your your restaurants in the way like you're using it. You know, as as acidity is nice. I'm just saying, like, man, generally Scandinavians and sourness are insane. Like you, they, they we, just we love used it acidity. and also like pickling pickling onions, where we would try to use like sour orange. Or, mm-hmm. you know, we don't have citrus here. Uh, and I think it's amazing. And, and that's the thing. It makes sense. In what you're doing to bring acidity to Mexican food, which is an absolute must, totally makes sense. <laughs> but I think for my complaint is when <laughs> you would see sea buckthorn fluid gel. Just... <laughs> When was just, that? <laughs> just at like a random restaurant random, in New York or You know something. what I mean? Like a dollop, dollop of sea buckthorn gel. I'd be like, what the fuck? <laughs> or just like a, a, a handful of sea buckthorn scattered on a plate makes no sense in America. But no. the reverse. You So you were saying you were using habanero and, and sea buckthorn together. Yeah. How is the Danish reception of spice, heat? How has that been? Uh, I think it's pretty low, but we don't use too much chile. I mean, Dave, you've been there to eat. It's it's quite minimal. And I think also with a lot of Mexican food, it's, it's never like super spicy. You can always control the amount. So we try to make the dishes uh, in a way that don't require extra salsa too much uh, mm-hmm. so that people get the right flavor. Um, I... I think Rosio is clearly one of the best talents and now just a, a, a multi-restaurateur. But you've had a very diverse career, which obviously is what translates to Sanchez. And I don't want people that are unfamiliar with the work to think, oh, she's just making tacos and like a Mexican-inspired restaurant. You've had one of the most diverse CVs, right? So <laughs> how do we explain that? So when they come to your restaurant... They shouldn't be surprised at what might seem left of sort of center thinking, which I find to be amazing because I love your food and I think you're incredibly innovative. How do you sort of summarize your career? Where have you been? Where have you started in America? And it's it's an amazing CV. Let's just be clear here. It's a short one, but... <laughs> uh, <laughs> Um, you know, I, I was in Chicago, um, went to school at Cordon Bleu very fast for a pastry degree. And then I moved to New York City where I met you. <laughs> well, you, uh, you were commuting I, from uh, Connecticut, though. I was commuting from Connecticut because I wanted to work at WD-50. Um, and I got a job there after asking Alex so many times, Alex Tupac. And then I stayed there for a few years. The job after that, well, I was there as a pastry food chef with Alex. Um, and after that, was in uh, with Noma for five years as an R&D chef and pastry chef. I think that was probably one of the most innovative periods for Noma, too. And so you've seen innovation from two of the most important restaurants the past 50 years and worked with some of the greatest minds. And what made you decide, I'm not going to do high-end dining. I'm not going to try to, you know innovate in in like a forward sensibility what made you think i'm going to dial this all back i think that having both experiences with wiley and renee they were two extremes you know one was 
hydrocolloids, manipulate, test, and the other one was like all natural, nothing else, minimal ingredients, only what's in season. So it was it was very interesting to see those two perspectives. And then towards the end of uh, my time at Noma, I really I realized I didn't know much about my own heritage, uh, and I wanted to put in that effort, all that effort that I put into Wiley and Alex and Renee, I felt like that could really be put into building something that can also, you know, in a way, add value to Europe. And uh, one of that inspirations, the inspirations for me was uh, Rick Bayless. You know, I'm from Chicago. So Rick Bayless, you know, introduced a lot of this uh, Mexican dining in Chicago, or at least more respectable ones. So for me, it was kind of that idea of, okay, you can actually do this and continue to learn for decades and decades and decades um, and be an important part of this food scene. You know, and I think that's really exciting to me. The idea that you can always learn, there's like endless things to learn about Mexican food and I'm just going to continue to enrich myself with that. I mean, Rick Bayless, is, it's, it's interesting you bring him up because like, you know, Chicago has a very strong Mexican food scene and now at least, and I'm probably for longer than most of us realize, but you know, it also has a Mexican American population. Like you're on yeah. an Island. <laughs> you're on a fucking <laughs> Island. Are there oh, even, I'm laughing because it's been so tough. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, are there even other sort of pockets of good uh, Mexican food in other parts of Europe? I know there's not in, in Denmark, but like, you know, we've joked about <laughs> Sweden's Taco Fridays, and and I know in Scandinavia, I have not seen it elsewhere. But no, I don't think so. Not that I know of. I know of like particular restaurants, but I don't see a scene. But I think it's also um, just to develop one. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and um, I think that's re- what's really exciting. And let's see where it goes. And all of whatever happens, if it continues or not, I think that the experience is is beautiful. Rosio, can you talk about that transition? It's something that we spoke about when you were, you know, after you open a restaurant and you sort of get to first year and you sort of let the adrenaline sort of subside and you realize, oh, I thought I just climbed the most impossible mountain, but there's so many more impossible mountains ahead of me. What, what, What was going on? Can you talk about that transition from being a chef to being chef owner? And quite frankly, how much it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember I, I called you to ask you how you do it. And your response was, it just doesn't get easier. <laughs> like, stop looking for the easy way out. Yeah, um, but right. I think for me, it's been... Um, actually, Sanchez wasn't so bad. Because Sanchez, I was able to be there every day. But now that there's another restaurant, I think now it's getting a little tricky. Where being a part of service is extra stressful. Hmm. Um, so I think right now the transition is I need to figure out my structure and see how I can uh, try to have a control mm-hmm. on everything. Uh, because, you know, I still try to be a part of the creative process uh, for each place. And, you know, I try to push that each place has different items on <laughs> so they're not the same so that. You know, my idea was that people can go to all places in the same day and have different things, mm-hmm. uh, like to be our own competitor. And now I'm in a situation where like, oh, maybe <laughs> like, <laughs> do they all need to have different things. Um, I still think so, but I think it's just a lot of work. Uh, and, you know, and feeding into that creative team to keep them motivated. I think that's also tough while managing all the, you know, all the other boring stuff, admin stuff. Do you miss working service like you used to, or is it? I've still done service. It's different than when you have to do four restaurants, though, right? Yeah, it's very different. I mean, I I tried to make a goal for myself for when we reopen to not do service, or at least do like four hours in each location a week, um, where you can still be a part of it and see what's happening. Um, but, you know, when you're not really a part of it, you're just like in the way. <laughs> mm-hmm. You're just there standing around and asking questions and, and right. people are just annoyed by you. <laughs> yep. That's why my name is Jefe Donata. 
I mean, how did how did you feel with that transition? I'm going to ask you again and again and again. <laughs> I don't know. At some point, you realize you can't be everywhere. And exactly. I think all that happens is you have a clearer understanding of exactly what you just said. Is like, you don't really have agency. You're not really around, so you don't really know. And you've been in that situation where you're working for a chef. The chef comes in. Chef doesn't really know what's going on. They To look like they're important or meaningful, they come up with a dish or they say, change this or change that, and they leave, and everyone's like, what the fuck just happened? You know what I mean? <laughs> and you realize, oh, my God, I'm that fucking person now. Yeah. And, and you never wanted to be the person you didn't loathe, per se, but you never thought you'd be on that other side. And there you are. And I think the hardest part is battling imposter syndrome, right? You're becoming the very thing you never thought you'd become. You got in this business to cook, not to necessarily manage. And I'm not saying that I've gotten better at it at all. In fact, I've dealt with it in a lot of different ways, but at some point you got to let go, right? And you, you you can't control everything. And one of the biggest issues that I think personally I've dealt with, and I know for, for sure you, is, is the addiction for control. And I don't have a good answer other than at some point, I think you really have to weigh the, the, the price of turning that into apathy, right? Yeah, letting go, like just dropping it. I, I, I was laughing at the, uh, I was reading your book, uh, some of the, the emails that you were writing to the team. Yeah. It's like just the same way that I'm asking, like, so what do you guys think of this business and this business? And I was thinking maybe we should try this. And I feel like those are the same sort of emails. Like I'm the only one asking all these detailed questions. And if you look at it from the outside, it looks like a crazy person. Like, hmm. right. It is. I know. And, and I think part of it is getting to a place where, so you don't sound like a crazy person is, is like, I don't have really any decision-making rights. Marguerite, our CEO, is like, you need guardrails, right? And, and that's sort of what you got to work towards is people to have a checks and balance system, you know, that works. Not like what is here in America per se in our government, but I think you got to find a way to create a checks and balance system because uh, it's a lot of responsibility to have. And, and, I'm really thankful that there's someone to tell me you're, you're wrong. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you're just flat out wrong or that's a terrible idea. <laughs> and, and, and I think that's really important is, is empowering people to tell you, to keep you in check, to make sure you don't get lead singer syndrome, you know? And that's not easy to do. And we've had Marshall Goldsmith on this call. He's my, my a coach and, the one thing he's always told me is your job isn't to tell people what to do. Your job is to empower them to make the best decisions possible. And if you're there micromanaging, telling them everything, you know, it's a lot like parenting, you know, something that we've talked about. Your job is to make sure that they make more right decisions than wrong decisions. And you can only do that by giving them freedom. And this is the paradox, I think, of being a manager, particularly in a kitchen. It's very, very difficult. And it pains me when I talk to you over the years to see it's like the, the pain, quite frankly, because you don't want anyone to, you don't want the restaurant to not work and you don't want your team to, to like not function at a super high level. But ultimately, too, I know you, Rosio, very well, and you care more than anybody else. And you've always cared more than anybody else. And that's hard. Also, it's also, you know, I have a great team, fantastic team. It's just that letting go part that is nothing to do with them. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with them, but me just wanting to be a part of everything. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. Chris, would you agree with this? Because like I think about this a lot as like when to intervene. It's about being present as like a parent. You know, 
we've talked about this before, but when Hugo was being sleep trained and we're, my wife and I are trying to figure out, do we go in the room? Do we go in the room? Do we go in the room? Because you want to comfort your baby. You want to make sure he's not feeling pain. But are you sacrificing long-term benefits for the short term? And that's like really what you got to weigh because you feel like you're being a really bad parent. You're like, you're, you're letting your child who's in the room next door experience <laughs> pain and suffering and loneliness. And you can easily, with a snap of your fingers, be there to help out. <laughs> and I, I, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I mean, I can tell you, well, let me tell you two quick stories. One, that's a direct answer to that. I have run a very scientific experiment in my own house. Exactly what you're talking about, where we couldn't, <laughs> we couldn't sleep train my daughter. We couldn't bear to hear her crying. We just like anytime, you know, we just, we didn't do anything. We didn't let her cry it out. We just stood there with her. We held her in her arms until she fell asleep. And now, like, she can't sleep on her own. She's four years old, and she just, like, can't do it. She can't – she has the, a huge difficulty falling asleep, staying asleep. She comes into our room every single night, and it's literally what you're talking about, where, like, we sleep train my son. We let him cry it out, and he sleeps through the night. And it's just, like, that thing where you're like, I don't want you to feel any pain. I don't want you crying at all, and I've got to intervene. I've got to step in and do this for you. And and it's worked exactly like you said. One kid can now sleep and the other one like can't do anything on her own. So the other <laughs> quick example that's like more pertinent to the restaurant world, I mean, I, I wanted to, I don't know if I've ever told this story, but like, Dave, uh, you and I were actually eating at Noodle Bar um, with a few other people. And I remember, you know, a couple of things during the meal like you were unhappy with. One was like, something to have to do like logistics service or something on the an actual logistical problem. And the other was like a dish that you didn't really like. And I remember somebody we were with, it might've been Brian Koppelman who was like, well, what are you going to do? Are you going to tell them about it? And you said like, well, I'm going to tell them about this logistical thing, but like, I'm not going to say anything about the dish. And he was like, why not? And you were like, I can't step in on that. Like they have to figure out the creative process themselves. They've got to figure out like what dish is working, what's not. This other thing is like a logistical problem that needs to be fixed in the restaurant, but I can't intervene on this thing. And I know that's like, you know, you've been working on that forever and ever and ever, but like I remember being taken, I remember like taking a lot of mental notes from that moment of like, well, you've got to pick Chris, and choose your battles. Sometimes I'm successful and sometimes I'm not in doing that. And it's... It's so hard, Rosio, to to figure out those moments and to go back to this baby sleeping analogy again. Like my mother was there getting angry at us because she's like, "Why aren't you going in there helping your your son out?" <laughs> but we were huddled next door, looking at the baby monitor, telling ourselves, "Should we go in? Should we go in? Should we go in?" We weren't at a bar, we weren't in another country. Yeah, we were there being present, and I think that's the conflict: is how do you be present? yet intentionally not intervene to have the patience to like find the moments to be corrective where it is going to have the best impact. And so much about restaurants is doing it in the moment that you really got to train yourself otherwise. Like everything that made you a great chef is going to make you a really terrible leader potentially. So I'm still learning this, Rosio, and I know how much you care. And, and it's, it's all stuff that you know, I'm glad we're talking about because hopefully this is going to help someone, you know, that's in a similar position. But um, being present is something that I'm really med meditating on just personally and and how to find those impactful ways to make sure that you're not sacrificing short term for like long term benefits with your team. And And I'm still wrestling with the fact that I'm an imposter and you know, I'm not there enough. Like, I feel like I don't do anything anymore. And and that bothers the hell out of me. I'm sure you feel the same way. Yeah. I think it's, I mean, it's gonna, it's just something that's new. So uh, I'm trying to kind of accept it. And I think that, um, as you've said many times, you know, we're not trained for this kind of thing. You know, we're trained to chop an onion and cook this and come up with dishes and handle service, not manage a company <laughs> you know i think that's that's the main thing so but i mean that and that that's where i am now like figuring out how to take things forward and where to give up on some of uh, the responsibilities and that's going to be my goal for this year yeah you know but i think in in, in uh, retrospect i think it's if i would have just had one taqueria i don't think it would have been as exciting so like hmm. these challenges is like a good thing I think it's a good thing to to be in the shits about something. 
Yeah, you get a little addicted to that feeling, huh? <laughs> well, a little I, bit. I, I, I'm sure that uh, we have um, maybe convinced people not to get in the restaurant business with our <laughs> sad scent. You know, wait, you're telling Let's, me uh, it gets harder, more difficult? Yes. <laughs> Where do I sign up? <laughs> uh, okay. Well, one thing we wanted to do with Rocio is um, we actually thought it'd be fun to do some of our My Opinion is Fact stuff with Rocio, do some over-unders and some questions. And uh, one thing, I mean, Chang, you just you just said you you meditate on this a lot. I know that uh, Rocio's done a little meditation herself. So why don't we just kick this right off with an over-under transcendental meditation or just at-home meditation? Overrated? <laughs> Or underrated? What do you guys think? Underrated. Underrated. Are you still? Are you keeping up with your meditation? Uh, yeah, a few times a week. Not every day, but um, yeah. But it's been a few years. Like, tell us a little bit more about like why is it underrated? Has it really been that effective for you? Yeah, I mean, as soon as I started, I've been able to just relax a little more and um, I get less stressed. I think when I do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mr. Chang, meditating, meditation? Um, on and off. I think overrated in terms of the popular culture because they could see it as part of this new age type of thing. But I think underrated when you look at the benefits that can actually help. And it's something I need to do more of on a regular basis for sure. Yeah, I don't know why it's a struggle for me or any of us. I guess it's like finding the time, but I, I find the benefits of it to be amazing. I mean, I'm just doing like the stuff that you're talking about, Dave, like all like the pop culture like app on your phone type of things. And I think like it's so, I feel so good doing it, but I don't know why it's a challenge to sit quietly <laughs> and like be present. It's just, uh, but I, 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 I agree that it's, it's underrated. Um, let's do another one. Rocio, chili, as in the stew, not as in the. I'm talking about like American chili, chili beans and ground meat and tomato. Overrated as a dish or underrated? I think uh, I haven't heard of it in a long time. I would say overrated. <laughs> when was the last time you had a bowl of of, of that chili? I don't. I can't even remember. <laughs> Maybe in school, like grade school. <laughs> like. I guess it has vaguely Mexican roots. I mean, it uses tons of chili and tomatoes, but like, I can't think of a dish. Is there, is there like a Mexican dish that it actually, like chili, the, the chili, American chili resembles? I can't, uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, the only thing I can think of is like albondigas, like meat with spices and things like that, like meatballs, but. Mm-mm. Yeah, it's a weird thing when you really think about it. I don't know. Dave, do you like chili? What's your take? Do I like chili? Come on. Rosia just said it's overrated, man. I think when you have a bowl of chili, even if it's a bad bowl, it's still like, man, I wish I ate this more often. You know what I'm talking about. Are you saying underrated? <laughs> well, I, again, it can be both simultaneously. Overrated in the sense that people have an understanding of what it is, but underrated when you actually eat it. And it could be like in a styrofoam cup at like the top of a ski chalet in a, you know, like in Pennsylvania, <laughs> you know, with, with like crappy shredded cheese and sour cream and onions. And you're like, this hits the spot. And even bad chili is good no. to me. <laughs> says no, man. I don't know. I think no, that. I don't know. Uh, Chili dogs? Where you guys on chili? Where you guys on chili dogs? Maybe my chili dogs? No. Maybe one of my top five foods and the thing I'm most embarrassed to order. I think because I think that it's pretty gnarly. It's pretty gross to order that. Chili dogs, Dave. (sighs) Depends how if I'm inebriated. (laughs) (laughs) Um. All right. Overrated or underrated? Goat as a meat. I'll be honest. I don't like goat cheese and I don't like goat too much, but there have been times when a farmer has asked us to put goat on the menu and we've done it and you can make delicious goat, but it's not something that I like go for. I don't love the flavor of milk or meat too much. I don't like go out of my way to not eat it. It's not like not wanting to eat like 
you know, lamb's test, goat testicles. I'm just saying like, I, if I had to choose, you know, cow, sheep, I would do that over a goat first. I'm not choosing goat as mm, my num- number one. So I think it's underrated, but it's not like my cup of tea. Yeah. I think for me, I haven't had it uh, too much. So in Scandinavia, I actually don't know if I know this. What would you say, like in, in, in descending order, like what is like the most popular meat generally to the least pork. popular meat? Pork <laughs> is absolutely the number one, right? Yeah, pork. Least popular, maybe it's going to be something like uh, goats because of the availability. Mm-hmm. Like you don't see it more uh, too often. I don't know. I don't want to get hate mail for not saying goat's awesome, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you are going to eat it, it's got to be like it's like a like season kid. for it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like, I don't know. Pork, pork wins always. Pork wins always. Do you think Chang? Do you think what is more popular? I have no basis for this, and maybe you'll have an immediate answer. What's more popular in the states, beef or chicken? Chicken by far and away. Far and away more popular than beef. I mean, the world, America literally consumes grilled chicken breast or chicken tenders. And that's like 60 to 70% of Americans' diet. That's what I believe. <laughs> that's six, chicken tenders are 60% of American diet. No, grilled chicken breast <laughs> and or chicken fingers slash tenders is like 60%. The other 20% is ground beef. Um. Here's a uh, question for Rocio, actually. Overrated or underrated? Returning to your native country after many years abroad in Scandinavia. <laughs> oh. Right now? <laughs> right now, coming back to America could not be more overrated. Could not be more overrated. What do you think? That's a tough one. I don't know. Not sure right now. I think uh, a little underrated. Oh, I think there's a, I think there's a lot to explore that maybe I haven't given too much of a chance. Dave, do you think we see Rocio back in the states <laughs> running a restaurant? Do you think we, we're ever going to see it? We've had this talk before. I've had this talk with Rocio several times over the years, and I think it's not out of the question. But I think she's committed to Copenhagen and I wouldn't be surprised if she stays in Scandinavia forever. Uh, but it also wouldn't surprise me if she wants to be transcontinental as well. Yeah. I think she's a citizen of the world. Citizen of the world. (laughs) Uh, let's see here. What is a place that you've never been to that you really want to go to? For me, I would like to go to Taiwan. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Do you now have, does Martin have family or, or connections in Taiwan still? Some, yeah, but most of his family is here. I just would like to go. I think it would be fun. I think uh, even before I met him, there's been uh, a lot of great people that I've met from Taiwan. So it's, yeah. Yeah. I haven't been there since I was two years old. Dave, when was the last time you were in Taiwan? I was there, I don't know, 10 years ago. For like 24 wow. hours. Um, yeah, I, I want to go back. I want to do it right. And um, I've been eating a lot of Taiwanese food here in LA, though. I tell you that much. Mm-hmm. Uh, Taiwanese breakfast is, uh, is, is our Sunday staple for sure. But I, I agree with you. I think, you know, if Singapore had its moment with uh, Crazy Rich Asians and and the casinos and stuff, I think maybe the next five, 10 years, you're going to see a lot more of Taiwan influence, Taiwanese influence, uh, I hope, because I do like that it's this hodgepodge amalgamation of the world, right? Mm-hmm. Where's somebody, where's somewhere you would want to go that you've never been, Dave? You've been so many places, but where, where's a place still on your bucket list? I had a trip to go to South Africa this year, and I, I wasn't able to, but I, I really want to go to South Africa, Cape Town, Johannesburg, simply because I've had conversations with people because they're like, that's some of the funkiest food in the world. (laughs) Um, Funky as in a true mashup of global cuisine. Yeah. Like Cape Malay food. And then you've got like 
Indian food and the East Chinese food. Side, you have, Chinese you food. Have everything going on at at the southern tip of the world, a little bit. And um, I I just would love to get a better understanding of how you know that idea of deliciousness mixes with everything into something that's contemporary. Mm-hmm. And I I don't know enough about that, but you know I remember talking to Trevor Noah about it. And he's like, people have no idea how progressive the food is down there and I, I want to see it and I want to taste it. Rocio, like what you do at Sanchez and sort of like uh, using Scandinavian ingredients, you know, in Mexican context is it, like, that's sort of like what we're talking about happens over time in South Africa, places like that, where you develop these cuisines. Like, does that, are you seeing much of that in Denmark, in Copenhagen, outside of maybe like the highest end of the spectrum or other restaurants? Do you see like, Danish Mexican food arising? Do you see like Danish blended food? Danish Mexican food? Another no, Mexican. I mean, just like Danish hyphen anything food, you know, do you see more, more and more of that or no? Um, well, I think that if you, I mean, if you go to maybe like Japanese, no, Japanese restaurants here are still quite Japanese. Um, I think it's more modern restaurants that open up that try to incorporate a little, but I would say it doesn't really exist. Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. I think it's more in like the new restaurants, maybe from expats coming here. I have an overrated, underrated for you, Rosio, and we'll see how much of <laughs> um, America has been sort of eradicated in who you are as a person now. No. <laughs> overrated, underrated, <laughs> black licorice. And if you say pro black licorice, <laughs> you are fully like Scandinavian now. There you go. Like, oh, it's good. You're no longer American. We've lost her. We've lost, We've her, lost completely. her forever. Oh, no. I like licorice. I like sea thorn. <laughs> Did you like licorice when you Before, first arrived in Scandinavia? Actually, actually, I didn't love it. Mm-hmm. I don't love it now. I'll, I'll, I'll eat it, but I won't buy it. It's not like something I go for. I have had it on the menu. You literally <laughs> just told the world that I've been brainwashed to... <laughs> You know, it's like post-Stockholm syndrome. I don't even understand <laughs> what you just said. I don't like it, but I will buy it. <laughs> no, Alex, Alex used a lot of licorice at WD-50. It wasn't like a sharp transition. It was like, oh, here. It's yeah, but, like, okay, yeah. okay, listen. <laughs> Stupak using notes of licorice and anise flavoring in his dishes were balanced to me or pro- trying to set up. A, a larger flavor note in his food. And I don't want to get too geeky in it. But when you get to Scandinavia, chewing on black licorice is a whole other thing. <laughs> Do I chew on black licorice? No. Will I add it into a dessert? I have. We've done churros with uh, licorice sugar. Yeah, scent a flavoring, but... <laughs> but, but saying, that would mean you still like it. You're using it. Whether it's oh. pure or not. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Are you chewing on black licorice? <laughs> I'm no, I, I'm not buying a box of black licorice and snacking on it like it's edible. I'm gonna send you some black licorice, Dave. I think that those those little candy coated lacrids licorices are amazing, though, Rocio. Like those are those are delicious. Oh God, I I can't even. <laughs> oh, like that candy that you guys eat out there, like, oh, just makes my stomach churn. <laughs> like, not only will pull out your molars, you know, it just tastes bad. I mean, there's a reason my stomach's churning because it registers poison. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, on the reverse, though, Rocio, like, what, what, uh, you haven't been this direction in uh, over a year now. You usually yeah. come out to the states or Mexico yeah, once, or twice. once or twice. Yeah, what At are least. you what are you dying for that you haven't been able to get in the last? Sunshine. Year plus? <laughs> <laughs> I what, what, am, what? I am needing some sunshine right now. It's what 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 the, what time does the sun go down in in Denmark right now? Right now we don't really have sun. It's just like <laughs> oh, light God. out, and it, there's like a there's like a light out. There's no real sun. You can just see that there's light and it's like eight o'clock, nine o'clock. And then it goes down by three or goes away. It doesn't go down. Like, there's no sun. Like pitch black at like three o'clock. Yeah. Right. Three or 4 PM, depending on the day. And, uh, and, 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 and it's, Saturday it's, we had sunshine though. 
But and it's incredibly it's cold simultaneously, right? Cold and rainy and windy. It's quite I mean, depressing right now during the lockdown, to be honest. Well, that's how uh, I feel emotionally. The days just anyway. feel like extremely long. You have like five hours where you can actually try to go outside. But you get it, it back. I mean, on the bright side, in the summertime, the sun doesn't go down to like four in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> Scandinavia, I mean, Denmark is amazing because it's like at the very first sign of sunshine. It can still be like 40 degrees outside, but it's like sunny. And every Danish person is just like naked in the streets, like swimming <laughs> in the water because they're like, it's here. Spring is here. And it's still just icy cold. Um, well, one day... Um, Maybe we'll live in Copenhagen. Grace wants to move there one day, but uh, she hasn't really. She's been to Copenhagen winter once, but it was um, snowing. So when it snows in Copenhagen, it's quite nice. I think it's nicer in the winter in uh, the states. When it snows, you get all this snow everywhere, and here it just snows and then it's gone. Um, overrated, underrated. S'more bread, and for those that don't know, can you explain to people what s'more bread is? He's trying to say s'more bread. What is it? How do I smell? Smor- <laughs> smor- I don't know. I, I, I was, I'm laughing because I was like, he's pronouncing it wrong. And then I was like, oh, shit. I don't smor- know how to smor- pronounce it. Smor, bro. Smor, smor, smor. Because smor-, smor-, smor is butter. What is the, wait, what is the say, word? I, say it correctly for us. I don't know what you're trying to say. We're talking about the little rye bread sandwiches. Sandwiches. <laughs> oh, tops. Oh, uh, smorgasbord. I can't say <laughs> Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, no. No, my, my Danish is terrible. But uh, Smorborg. How often do you eat a s'moreborg? I don't. No. <laughs> I eat a sope. Oh. I, I mean, yeah. I mean, I would way rather eat a sope than a s'moreborg. How often does like an average, I mean, your your social group, your friends, are they eating s'moreborgs? <laughs> this is so, so <laughs> no, racist. I don't, think, no, I don't think so. I will tell you, though, having had it, some variation of that in... Sweden and Copenhagen in Finland, maybe a little bit less different name. There's only one smorborg I like, and that's the mayonnaise <laughs> shrimp one. Oh, the mayonnaise shrimp one is good, though. The baby shrimp mayonnaise, that's the only thing I can get down with. Everything else, the pickled herrings and stuff. Bleh. But so it's it's an open-faced rye bread sandwich that you like you you eat with. Yeah, you like, drink it with schnapps. schnapps, right? Yeah. The, the shrimp salad one is good. The rest I have never been able to get down with. Overrated, underrated, kebabistan. Overrated. What? Overrated. What is your what's overrated. your go-to kebab shop? I don't have a go-to kebab shop. I go to a pastor. Oh yeah, <laughs> I forgot about this. Oh, but you think kebabistan is overrated? Do you think kebabs are overrated generally? I've only I've only been there once. What? I think it's overrated. I don't think I've ever eaten a meal at Noma and not gone to kebabistan after the fact. <laughs> I don't know what's the response to that. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's less a statement about Noma <laughs> and more of a statement about Dave. I've been on those trips with him to Kebabistan post Noma. Is it because is it because you crave it or is it because nothing else is open? Well, listen, you finish your dinner, you're you're usually coming in at the last turn and you finish your dinner and you're drinking and it's like you eleven your o'clock. Dinner in Thirty minutes. Yeah, you finish your dinner. We try to. I always try to eat it as quickly as possible. I, I think <laughs> just under an hour. I think it was like thirty or forty minutes once. Yeah, that was the best. He's <laughs> like, "Ting is going fast. Go faster." <laughs> but like, it was a Dave show, and he thought I was bringing him to Nobu. <laughs> Wait, did he actually eat it? One hundred percent. He thought we got a Nobu. <laughs> 100%. He's like, where's the sashimi? Where's the... <laughs> um, but uh, easy mistake. I, I, I'm i almost saying like, because like you're always trying to meet up with the Noma crew after dinner. So it's like, there's always like a few hours actually post Noma dinner. And then before you can hang out and go to, what's that bar that people, that never, Sam's? The, yeah, ooh, Sam's bar. Sam's bar. Sam's Holy bar. cow. So you got to like five hours. So basically like, you, you know, you got to eat again and it's kebabistan. Because it's the only thing open. Yeah. And it's delicious. So that's why it's overrated. It really it's is delicious. delicious. It's delicious. It's flat out delicious. I mean, maybe we just are like kebab deprived here. I need to give another try at one in the morning. Uh, Martin took me to a few places. He knows all of the kebabs. He's, he he yeah, gets down. Yeah. I to some. We were all there. We drank champagne outside. 
overrated, underrated hot dogs in, in Denmark. People need to know it's a very much a big thing, hot dogs. I think that it's, that it's worth trying. How do Danish people eat hot dogs? What is a Danish hot dog? I mean, it's just a classic mustard, onion, crispy onion, bun. Yeah. I mean, I always get it at the airport. That's about the only time. <laughs> it's the crispy onion that separates it, though, right? That's what makes it something different? Is that the thing? I mean, do they not have it in New York? Crispy no. onions? Is that a thing? No. They have the they have the, the the red sauce with onions in it. Like that onion sauce. I just know because well, I grew up in Chicago and the hot dogs there was just like no ketchup. Yeah, that Chicago dog is a very different thing. <laughs> All right. Last one then. So overrated, underrated, that Chicago hot dog with the pickle and relish underrated. and celery salt. Underrated. So <laughs> fucking good. So good. It's delicious, yeah. The best hot dog in America is the Chicago dog, as far as I I'm can't, concerned. I can't do it. I Why? Can't do it's got it. everything you I want in it. I can't do it. The slices of tomato are too much for me. I but think the, the chili pickle, pepper, celery salt, so good. Yeah, man. the pepper. I like the, the celery chili? salt and the chili pepper. I think the relish and the pickles, too much for me. I got one more. Danish breakfast. Overrated, underrated. Mm. What is Danish breakfast? Describe a Danish breakfast. I mean, for... The normal Danish breakfast would be maybe porridge or rye bread and cheese, something very basic. And uh, deli pastries, meat. Pastries and deli meat. Um, I do love like the morning bun that you get in the bakeries that has yeah. like the cheese, uh, butter, and also like a jam. You can have mm-hmm. jam on it. I think that's super tasty. So I think it uh, depends on what kind of breakfast. If I go for a breakfast, that's Normally what I'm going for is called a morning bun. One last thing, Ying, because I'm trying to get Rosio in a lot of trouble here. (laughs) (laughs) She refuses to turn on her new countryman. Yeah. Who makes better dairy products? France? Oh, come on. Or Denmark? Denmark. (laughs) Oh. Whoa. 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 What? What? What is what is the myth that I guess maybe I've had more tastings of different varieties of dairy here and fresh kinds of dairies and cheeses. Um, if we're talking about milk, I would say here. I agree with that. If we're talking about cheeses, I would, you know, I can't, I can't say. <laughs> Ying, what do you say? <laughs> I honestly didn't even know this was a thing. Danish <laughs> cheeses versus, I mean, I don't, I can't imagine. Oh, I've had cheese in Denmark and just, wasn't remarkable. I think that f- there's no way Dan- Denmark has better the cheese Dan than France. It's pretty remarkable. So. Oh, I'm very lactose intolerant. So I'm not just like drinking I mean, milk. Butter, in Denmark. I don't know. Like Bordier butter. I know it's like considered overrated now, but I don't think that's possible. And I've had great butter, but I don't know. That's the funniest thing is having had conversations with a variety of Scandinavian chefs. Every single person will say they beat the shit out of France in all dairy products. And I don't know if that's true. I don't want to say every single one of them, but the ones that I know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right. So, Rocio, you guys are currently locked down, but you've got four restaurants. Your husband's got two. What are are, are we all going to look forward to next time, you know, Dave and I are able to come out your way? Like, what what are you hoping to pull off with your spots as, as the world returns to something like a real world. What am I personally hoping for? Yeah, like what do you? What's the vision for you in the coming coming? You know, <laughs> twelve to eighteen months. I mean, hopefully reopen by spring. The idea is to reopen by spring and get everything together and make a lot of tasty food. I'm going to focus on being more creative. There's more ways to get sea buckthorn into your dishes <laughs> as many places as possible. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I miss you, and I can't wait to see you and um, eat your food, but also give you a big old hug. And if there's anything we can do, just ask. But, um, you know, we want to ask you to come back to America. Not yet. (laughs) 2022. 2022. And congratulations on being a newlywed. Thank you very much. Well, guys. That was our talk with Rosio. As much as I miss traveling, I don't miss visiting Copenhagen right about now. Not because of the pandemic, 
But if you haven't been to Scandinavia in the wintertime, it gets dark at like 3.30. No joke. And as Rosio attested to, like, it doesn't really get super sunny. But in the summertime, it's basically sun, depending on how north you are in Scandinavia. Basically, you can go to bed with the sun up and wake up with the sun up because the sun just doesn't go down. Maybe it goes down for like three, four hours. I don't remember. But uh, usually I've been pretty inebriated if I'm staying up to see the sun not set, which I have done a few times in uh, Denmark. But uh, if you visit her, please check out Rosio's restaurants. They are delicious. And um, I miss her tacos and I miss her laugh. Stay tuned for another podcast this week. Give us five stars, however you rate this, mostly on iTunes podcast page. And if you send in a question and give us five stars, we will answer it on our next mailbag. Take it easy, everybody. Stay safe. Wear masks.